Good morning, everybody. On bite. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Micah, chapter 6. So we're continuing today in our series. Uh, what's the name of the series? Oh, that's very good. That's very good. Do you remember last year I got to the end of uh, the David series? And I was like, and we're continuing our series. And I said, like, what's the name of this series? And everyone was like, you know, silence, crickets. It was holy and faithful mercies. But this, the community of the gospelized, you get it. You're internalizing. You are, you are the community of the gospelized. That's wonderful. So, yeah, we're continuing in our series. Actually, we only have uh, one more week to go. As a matter of fact, next week is our last week of the series. Um, and I think uh, I've just really enjoyed being in this content and thinking about what does it mean for the church to be the church? What does it mean that, that New Hope Community Church is a community of Jesus followers um, that has decided that, that we're actually going to live life together? We're going to gather on Sundays. We're going to gather during the week for house church. We're going to do discipleship together. We're going to do service together. What does it mean for us to be Christ's ecclesia, to be Christ's assembly, to be Christ's gathering? What does it mean to live out this thing that we call the Great Commission, uh, to go and make disciples of all? all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything Jesus has commanded because he's going to be with us to the end of the age. What does it mean for us to internalize that and to live life to, to identify with that commission? One of the things we learned last week and, pick, and, and we've hinted at other times is that we are a Trinitarian community. We are a community that follows the triune God. We're a community that says the, the God that we worship actually reveals himself as he exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Last week we read that beautiful text um, from Jesus' high priestly prayer that is just, um, it's just one of so many passages, specifically in the New Testament, where it just seems like the, the biblical writer is kind of, um, it's almost like they're tripping over themselves to say something about the Father and then say something about the Son and then say something about the Spirit. And they can't really talk about one without giving glory to the other. I love those kind of passages where we get this Trinitarian theology from. Um, and what we found was, one of the things that we said last week was, is that one of the, the just awesome things about the way that God um, exists in this eternal community of love is that the Father can't love the Son without getting some on you. The Son can't love the Father. The Son can't serve the Son's role uh, to the Father without getting some on you, on getting some on us. And actually how we, we, we've come to even define, we've even come to, to give the love that exists between the Father and Son a name. We call it the Holy Spirit. And this is just a, a kind of an image of what we get to be the Trinity and how we're connected to that. So as we are thinking about that, that's the kind of life that we want to have. That's the kind of community that we want to have. And last week we talked a lot about life in community, discipleship in community, the importance of house churches or small groups or even one-on-one -on -one time of um, 
accountability, um, getting into each other's lives. But there's another element to that community, right? There's another element to that that says who we are in here also has to matter to who we are out there. And we are always going to be the church no matter where we go, no matter where we are. And of course, that certainly has something to do with Discipleship. It certainly has to do with proclamation of the gospel and the, um, the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But there's also something very unique about the, the, the character, about the nature of this gospel that we proclaim that means something very specific to the poor, very specific to those in need. Let me just begin with a few scenarios to which I hope you can relate. I'm going to be a little vulnerable today. I'm going to be a little uh, exposing my, my, uh, my life a little bit to you all. Scenario one, I'm, I'm driving down to St. Mary's Seminary where I went to school to be, to be trained to do ministry. So St. Mary's is at the corner of Northern Parkway and Roland Avenue. It's in the north part of, of Baltimore City. <laughs> Last week, we, we took a trip to the mountains of Montana. Um, this week, we're going down to uh, North Baltimore. Um, coming from the west side of the Beltway, even if traffic is nasty, the best way to get there is to take 83 south from 695 and head down about 10 minutes to Northern Parkway, the Northern Parkway exit. Is anybody familiar with this? You've, you've lived in Baltimore. You know, you, you're familiar with this ride. So you head east on Northern Parkway for about five minutes, and our school is on the right. So, by the way, the reason why I'm giving you driving details is because I I want you to visualize what I'm talking about. Maybe it's abstract, and you've never actually taken the Northern Parkway exit off of 83, or maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about because, you know, you've lived in Baltimore, and, and you've been there yourself. Either way, I want you to be thinking about being in a car or being in a truck, driving down to that specific location, specific destination. I'm sure you could give me similar destinations or similar directions to maybe your school or to maybe your office or to maybe your church. The point is this, just like last week, I wanted you to be on that mountain with me. This week, I want you in that car with me. I want you in my truck. Anyway, back to scenario one. So I'm driving down to St. Mary's, and I take the exit off of 83 East on Northern Parkway. Like most exits, there is a light at the top of the ramp, and Northern Parkway is a very busy road, so if your intention is to turn left, which you're going to have to do if you want to get to St. Mary's, you're probably going to have to sit for a few minutes, and even if the light turns green, you might not make it. It may take a couple of light cycles before you actually get through, and even then you still might be sitting in standstill traffic, and you might be thinking, why is he wasting sermon time talking about driving? Don't we have a sermon to get to? We do, we do, but but it's important that, that you're there with me. You see, this scenario is not an unprecedented occurrence. This is simply the city in which we live. I know it, and you know it. And others know it and attempt to take advantage of it. And now we come to the part, right? It may be a busy street with lots of cars, but you notice that not everyone is in a car. There's a man walking up and down the line of cars with a sign. And that sign says, need food, please help, God bless. You've seen this man. 
So here in scenario one, I don't have any money to give to him. Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's the fact that I just find that if I have money on me, I tend to spend it. But regardless, I don't, I don't have any cash on me. I don't even think I have any quarters. My window has been rolled um, up. So when the man walks by my truck, I, I roll down the window and I say something to the effect of, sorry, brother, no cash on me today. He nods and I turn away and I feel a little good about myself that at least I rolled the window down. Now we'll go through some other scenarios in a, a little bit more rapid fashion. See, scenario two, everything's the same up until, sorry, brother, no cash on me today. So instead of nodding, the man says, nothing? Even some change would help. Well, I guess I have some pennies and some nickels. Well, I'll take anything you got, he says. And just as the light turns green, I'm fumbling through some filthy, my filthy change cup in order to quickly give him a handful of what probably adds up to about 25 cents of sticky coins that are covered with old coffee and soda. And he puts it in the 7-Eleven cup that he had with him, and he moves on down the line. I drive away feeling sticky and dirty myself. Scenario three, well, this time I have money, but I don't have small bills. In my wallet, there's a few tens and twenties. So I go out of my way to attempt to to not lie to the guy. Sorry, brother, I don't have anything for you today. Scenario four, I, I don't have any money, but hey, how about that? I happen to have some disgusting food that I didn't finish. Hey, brother, you want some of these McDonald's fries? I didn't finish them a couple of hours ago. Scenario five, I'm feeling generous, and hey, how about that? I just happen to have a couple of bills on me. Here you go, brother. God bless. Mm, Don't I feel great about myself? Scenario six, I don't even roll down the window because after all, I care about the guy, but I've got other things on my mind, and I'm just not in the mood to be charitable, not even with a smile. I avoid eye contact, and I hope the light turns green before he walks past my truck. After all, I'm low on gas, and the truck is making that weird noise again. I think, sorry, man, I have got my own problems. Which one of these scenarios do you think is a true story? All of them. And I trust that some of you might just resonate with a few of them. So towards the end of the Old Testament... There's a collection of short books of prophecy. Often they're referred to as the minor prophets. One of them is the book of Micah, which is a book about judgment and forgiveness. It's about how God will scatter his people because of their sins. You see, there will always be consequences for sin. But it's also about how he is a shepherd king who is in the business of of gathering and protecting and forgiving out of his covenant faithfulness. For while there are indeed consequences to our sins, there is nothing so dark that it cannot be redeemed by our loving God who is both eternally just and eternally kind. So at the beginning of chapter 6, Micah, of chapter 6 of Micah, We see an indictment from God against his people, Israel. Israel's sins are centered around two principles. Two principles that that will found very familiar. Israel forgot who God was, and they forgot who they were. Who was God? Well, God was their deliverer. He was their redeemer. He was their rescuer. He says, for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Well, 
If that's who God was, who were they? If God was the deliverer, God was the rescuer, God was the redeemer, who was Israel? Israel was the delivered, the redeemed, the rescued, past tense. The problem was that they failed to remember that they had already tasted victory from their faithful God. Friends, that is a very familiar sin, is it not? And what is our response? How do the people respond to that indictment? Picking up in chapter six, or verse 6 of uh, chapter 6 in Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord? Listen to how this kind of escalates to the point of absurdity. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a, a year old, like choice calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So, you know, I'm thinking, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. I failed to even roll down my window to or, or towards this man that asked for help. What would you like me to do? God, do you want me to pull over the car? Do you want me to find an ATM? Do you want me to just empty my bank account and give him all the money that's in there? Should I forget about the class that starts in 10 minutes? And should I just go out and buy him dinner? Should I invest more? Or maybe I should invest more of my time in homeless shelters. Maybe I need to go overseas and witness uh, global poverty and help with this massive crisis. What do you need me to do, Lord? What's the price for entering your presence? He's told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, fascinating topic, very complicated stuff. I heard one of my favorite definitions of justice of just last month when I went, attended a conference with uh, World Relief. They said, justice is desiring for others what you want for yourself. Kindness. We, we heard that verse several times, I think. He saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. What do they say? The difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. Love mercy. Love kindness. And of course, walk humbly. What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be facing humility? I love that uh, definition of, of humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. I don't know how sarcastic God actually is, but it helps me to think about it this way. Yeah, Joe, that's what I want you to do. I want you to forget about your responsibilities to your family and to your church and empty your bank account for this man who just happened to be on the side of the road. You see, I think the problem is that we can easily turn our guilt into an idol instead of giving it to Jesus. Let me say that again. 
I think the problem is that we can easily turn our guilt into an idol instead of giving it to Jesus. I get consumed either by the things that I think I need to do to please God or the things that I need to do because I don't believe that God is actually going to be faithful. And then my reaction to that situation at hand completely completely loses sight of who God really is and who I really am in God. What do you want me to do, God? God says, I already told you what I want you to do. I want you to do just. I want you to desire for others what you want for yourself. I want you to love kindness. I want you to go out of your way to be kind for another human being. I want you to walk humbly. I want you to know that I am God and you are not. And I want you to do it all under the conviction that we live our lives, we take our steps by grace. If you're you're able to help the man in that moment, great. God wants us to act justly and love kindness. I want you to value mercy. But I also need you to know, God says, that I never intended Joe Miller to be the savior of this world. I only ever called you to participate in the world's salvation as I am orchestrating it. Do you see the difference? The difference is that you're called to walk humbly. And you're called to remember that God is God and you are not. Yes, of course, we might say. But aren't there real problems in the world? Yes, there most certainly are. And if you intend on doing any substantive good, it is always going to be under the umbrella truth that this is God's world. This always has been God's world. And this is God's rescue plan, not ours. We're talking about this today because we're we're closing in on this series, The Community the Gospelized, a series based on the idea that the local church is a God-led mission that he intends should grow to the ends of the earth as we share and proclaim the gospel to a world that is broken, a world that is desperate for Jesus. He has said, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I've commanded because I'm going to be with you for the end of the age. Well, friends, we get to live into the freedom of that commission. We get to live into the freedom of, of our purpose to be the, the hands to be the, the people of God. But the nature, the nature of this good news is that it is going to benefit those that have nothing because that's exactly who we were. It is impossible to read the Gospels or the rest of the Bible for that matter and come away thinking that God doesn't care about the materially poor Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. 1 John 3, 16-17 says this, This we know, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for, uh, for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. This is Jesus talking. When the Son of Man, starting in verse 31. 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels are with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, I don't remember that. Lord, when, when, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, or, or welcome you, or, or, welcome you or, or, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you a sick person or in prison and visit you? And, and the king will answer him. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me naked. You did not clothe me sick and in prison. You, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, wh- wh- when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison uh, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Clearly, evidently, poverty is a problem. Clearly, it is a problem that God desires the church to attend to. World Relief tells us right now that millions of vulnerable people around the world are suffering as a result of violence and poverty and injustice. God is calling the church to respond. The organization Charity Water tells us that right now 663 million people live without access to clean drinking water. God is calling the church to respond. Hope International tells us that roughly 2.1 billion people live on less than $3.20 a day, lacking access to adequate food, shelter, and employment opportunities. God is calling the church to respond. 58 million children worldwide don't have access to education. And if it's at home you're worried about, nearly 20% of Baltimore's population is living below the poverty line, which is only $20,000 a year for a family of three. Organizations such as Reicherstown's Community Crisis Center and Catonsville Emergency Assistance and the Maryland Food Bank are only able to support a fraction of those who are coming for them to them for help for food assistance and eviction prevention and utility turnoffs. Now, here's the thing. Are the answers and the solutions more complicated than me pulling at your heart springs with Bible verses and statistics? You bet they are. 
We're talking about real people, and the resources that are needed to help those real people will come from real people. Our society is in need of men and women of leadership and integrity who face the challenges of our communities responsibly, engaging in realistic plans of attack towards the darkest corners of our neighborhood. Will the answers be more complicated than do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly? I am sure they will be, but let us not fail to, let us not uh, fall for the lie that the answers are any less than that. Let us not fall for the lie that because we can't do for all, we shouldn't do for one. I love what Andy Stanley says about this. He says, you should be willing to do for one what you wish you could do for all. Let us not fall for the lie that because I got my own problems, the plight of the poor isn't my concern. Friends, I prayed a lot before I was about to say this next sentence, but I'm going to say it. Friends, there is no such thing as other people's problems. If 663 million people can't find a glass of clean drinking water, that is my problem. Now, it may not be my problem to solve. We don't do any we don't do God any favors by putting the problem of worldwide poverty all on our own shoulders. Still, as I seek first Christ and his kingdom, as I walk in that direction, I believe that it is good for me to take some small steps. And as a person who promotes, as a pastor who will promote a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, may I take joy in the things that he takes joy in. May I laugh at the things that he laughs at. May I be angry at the things that make him mad. And may I weep when he weeps. Maybe a first step is to acknowledge and confess That my own materialism, my self-centeredness, and my complacency has allowed me to be far too comfortable with the cry of others. Second, I think that the road towards the kingdom is going to look an awful lot like the exit off of 83 onto Northern Parkway. We are called, friends, to incarnational living. Just as Jesus came and tabernacled among us, came and dwelt among us. We are called to be a part of this world, to live a gospelized life in the places that God has placed us. Have a look one more time, uh, one more place to turn to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. I didn't bring my cell phone, so it takes me a while to turn. (laughs) As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth that's walking by. And the guy cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be, to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Not give me some money. Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, well, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. What I love about this story was that it was the reality of the man's situation that called him to be on the side of the road begging, but it was an encounter with Jesus Christ that helped him see again, that helped him allow, that allowed him to begin to follow. Where does our role in the plight of the poor begin? It is going to begin with our relationship with Christ. It's going to begin with seeking first his kingdom. And as we do that, each one of us is going to have to go along our own path Even as we do church together, your path is going to be different than mine. But I believe that it is an excellent question to ask whether we are turning toward the person asking for help or just turning away and going by. The worship team is going to come up and play a tune. It's a tune that is uh, not written by a Christian band written by the band Pink Floyd, which is a personal favorite of mine, but that's not why we're playing it. I think the words of the song are absolutely beautiful and incredibly convicting. Don't accept that what's happening is just a case of others suffering, or you'll find that you're joining in the turning away. So I just would like us to spend some time listening to this tune And praying through, maybe tomorrow, praying through specifically, maybe tomorrow, where are you going to go tomorrow? Where are you going to drive to? Who do you expect to see? Can we be anticipatory of the fact that God calls us to do justice and love mercy and, and to walk humbly? Can we be anticipatory of that so that we're not caught off guard like, oh, I didn't even see that coming, that, that guy? What choices can I make to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly? Just pray through specifically your day tomorrow as you listen to this song.